0: Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Have your Bibles, open them with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We are continuing this morning a series that we've been in all month that we are calling The Forgotten Characters of Christmas, and basically what we are doing each week is a different character study or character studies of people connected with the Christmas story. And through this, our goal is hopefully to learn a little bit more about why this time of year is so significant, why this time of year is so meaningful, and hopefully then we walk away with a greater understanding of what Christmas really is all about. What I want to do as we begin is to do a little bit of a review of what we talked about. While each message stands alone, there is a sense in which they are all connected and build upon each other. The first week, a couple of weeks ago, we began by looking at the truth that Christmas is God's provision. If you think back to the story of the wise men and everything that transpired in their life from the star that guided them to where Jesus lay to the fact that they had this Jewish influence over them 600 years previous to the birth prior to the birth of Christ, we saw very clearly that Christmas is all about God's provision and the truth is exactly the same for you and me this morning. When we think about Christmas, Christmas is not just about the birth of a baby even though that is a significant portion of that. The Christmas story is truly about... How through the birth of Christ, God provided for you and for me. Through the birth of Christ, he provided salvation. He provided eternal life. He provided in more ways than we will ever understand. Last week, we saw that Christmas is God's grace. If you remember, we looked at that portion of Scripture that I'm sure all of you went back and memorized this week, the genealogy of Christ, right? You all went back and memorized it. There's a wonderful truth in there, though. Those first six verses of the genealogy of Christ we looked at last week, we saw that this genealogy is filled with people who lived lives that you wouldn't expect people in the genealogy of Christ to live. When we saw lives of Tamar and Bathsheba and Ruth and Rahab and David and Solomon, and each of these lives we saw things from incest to adultery to murder to immorality to prostitution. You name it, we saw it last week in the lives of those individuals. And the question many times that we have, I think if we're honest, is why would God choose to put those people in the line of Christ? And the only conclusion I can come to is that in their lives we are reminded that they did did nothing to deserve to be in the line of Christ. And the fact that they were there was all because of God's grace. And if we look through their lives, we see lives filled with sin. But if we look through our own lives this morning, I think we will find lives filled with sin. And it is a reminder that Christmas is about God's grace. Had Christ not been born, you and I would not have access to the grace of God. Where would we be without God's grace. Christmas is about God's provision. Christmas is about God's grace. And this morning, if you look at the top of your bulletin on the back, you'll see that Christmas is hope. Christmas is hope. And I again want us to look at the lives of a couple individuals and see some truths from their lives. Pastor Jason read this portion of Scripture earlier. and What I want to do is I want to give you these two individuals and a couple quick lessons or a couple quick things that we see from their lives, but then I want to really focus in on what is it that we can learn about this time of year from them. If you're taking notes on the back of your bulletin, you'll see that we're going to notice two faithful followers. Two faithful followers. The first one is Simeon. Now, normally, when we're reading the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, we don't focus on this portion of scripture starting in verse 25 down through verse, uh, really all the way down through verse 38. But this is part of this initial Christmas story where Christ is being presented. And I want us to notice very specifically, starting in verse 25, follow along with me as I read a portion of this passage again. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. Looking forward to Israel's consolation. And that phrase, Israel's consolation, is very important. We'll come back to that in a moment. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Now, again, let me just pause and explain what's happening. Simeon most likely had a dream. And in this dream, God told him, you will not die until you have laid eyes on the Messiah. Until you have laid eyes on this Christ that is to be born. Verse 27, guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple complex. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, these next couple of verses are very important. Now, Master, you can dismiss your slave in peace as you promised. He's saying, God, you you can let me die now. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. We'll pause right there. From the life of Simeon, we find this interesting backdrop that's being painted for us that God promised him he would not die until he saw the birth of the Messiah, saw the birth of King Jesus. Now, if you're Simeon, how are you going to wake up every day? Most likely, Simeon woke up every day with anticipation that maybe today is the day that he was going to see the Messiah. I can imagine Simeon waking up each morning saying, I wonder if today is going to be the day that I meet Christ. I wonder if today is going to be the day that I see the long-awaited Messiah. I wonder if today is going to be the day that I see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Each and every day he got up wondering, is today the day? Reminds me a lot of Jonathan. Each, each morning right now, he's asking, is today the day we open presents? <laughs> nope, not yet. But imagine every morning waking up wondering, is today the day that you would see the coming Messiah, the long-awaited one, the one that truly was going to be the hope not just for you and your family but for all mankind. There's a couple things though in verse 25 that we learn about Simeon. The first one is this, he is righteous. He was righteous. You see it in verse 25, this man was righteous. He was holy. He was godly. Now, I want you to understand something about this, though. What would it have to be like, what would your life have to be like for a biblical author, understanding God, understanding the nature of God, the character of God, the laws of God, to walk in here this morning and walk up to you and say, you are righteous. I wonder how many of us can honestly say this morning that we could be characterized as righteous, that we pursue holiness, and we pursue godliness, and we pursue righteousness. I wonder how many of us live that kind of life to where, if our name was included in Scripture, the characteristic that it would say about us is that we were righteous. I wonder how What it took for him to be righteous. I wonder why Simeon was righteous. Well, I actually think the verse tells us the answer to that. Not only was he righteous, it also says that he feared God. You look at the verse, this man was righteous and devout. The word devout means dedicated, committed, respectful. But it's also a word that's translated a number of times in Scripture as this individual feared God. See, I think the reason that Simeon is said to be righteous is because he feared God. He respected God. He reverenced God. Now, here's the danger for us this morning. Here's the danger for many of us. It is possible for us to strive to be righteous and holy, but strive to do that in a way that is not connected to a fear and a respect and a reverence for God. See, with the life of Simeon, what happened is he had this respect for God, this reverence of God, this fear of God, and the outworking of his attitude and his approach to God was that he was righteous. Whenever we strive to be righteous and holy and godly, but yet we do not truly fear God and respect God and reverence God, what happens is we began to manufacture an outward conformity that is not the result of an inward reality. It is possible for you this morning and for me this morning to go through the motions of church, the motions of religion, to manifest what seems to be this outward righteousness, be yet deep in our hearts we do not have a respect and a reverence and a fear for God. The reality of our lives this morning should be that we respect God, we fear God, we reverence God, and out of the overflow of a heart that fears God, the byproduct in our life is righteousness. That's the kind of righteousness that we need to live, not a fake righteousness, not a hypocritical righteousness, not a made-up Sunday morning only righteousness, but a righteousness that flows out of the reality of a heart that fears, respects, and reverences God Almighty. That's the life of Simeon. That's how Simeon was known. We don't, don't know a lot more about him, but it says he was righteous and he was devout. He feared God. Let me ask you a question this morning before we go any further. Can it be said of you that you fear God and that you're righteous? Can it be said of you this morning that you are holy and you have an attitude of respect and reverence for God? Those two are connected. Strive this morning to be sure that those things are a reality in your life. Simeon, though, is not the only individual we find Down starting in verse 36, we find the second individual I want to focus on this morning. And this second individual is Anna. Anna. I want to begin reading in verse 36. I want you to follow along. Here's what it says. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment she came up, What pause here, what very moment? The moment that Simeon is being introduced to Christ. At that very moment she came up and began to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna's an interesting individual. We do not know much about her, but there's a couple things we learned from this verse. I'm going to go ahead and give them both to you. The first one is that she served God, and the second is that she is committed to her service. She served God. We see that again in verse 37. She did not leave the temple complex serving God, but then it continues and says, serving God night and day with prayer and fasting. She was committed to serving God. Now, this is not the right time of year to be talking about fasting, Maybe it is. I don't know. Yes, yeah, good point. But think about the commitment in the life of Anna, widow for years and years and years. But she is serving God and she is committed to her service. But I want you to notice very specifically look at verse 37 again. It says that she did not leave the temple complex serving who? God. She was serving God. This coming to the temple complex was not about going through the motions. This coming to the temple complex was not about just impressing her friends. She was there to serve God. That was her focus, and she served God night and day with prayer and fasting. This was a committed service that was a characteristic of her life. It was not something she did on Sunday, but it was an overflow of her life. She was known as someone who served God faithfully, daily. Verse 38, at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God. And just notice this next phrase and to speak about him to all. This serving of God led to a talking to other people about what God was doing this serving God night and day, serving God with prayer, serving God with fasting, coming to the temple complex every day, led to a life that said, you know what, I want other people to know about the coming of the Messiah. I want other people to know about who Jesus is. I want other people to know what God has done. And listen, this time of year, if nothing else, should challenge us. Yes, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but we should care that other people also know what the birth of Christ means. And It's the reason why we have this Christmas missions offering, so that other people can know who Christ is and what Christ has done. She was committed in her service. So you have these two individuals, Simeon and Anna. Simeon, every day, looking for the coming of Messiah, was righteous, devout, he feared God. You have Anna, who served God, was committed in her service with prayer, fasting. This was her life. But the question I had as I was reading this is, why were they so much looking forward to the birth of Christ? I mean, why did Anna, when she heard that Christ was there, why did she celebrate that? Why did Simeon get up every day wondering, is today going to be the day that I meet the King of kings and the Lord of lords? What is it that they understood about the birth of Christ that maybe we need to be reminded of this morning? I want to give you four truths that they understood about the birth of Christ. Four things that they understood that I want to remind us of. And again, you, you probably know these truths But we need to be reminded of them this morning. What did they understand? Number one, they understood that the birth of Christ brought hope for comfort. They understood that the coming of the Messiah, the birth of Christ, the birth of this long-awaited king brought hope that they could enjoy and experience comfort. Look at verse 25. We already read this, but I want us to notice another phrase in this. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. Now notice this last phrase, looking forward to Israel's consolation, looking forward to Israel's comfort. Simeon understood that the birth of Christ brought hope. Throughout Israel's history, they had endured affliction. Throughout their history, they had endured bondage. Throughout their history, they had endured captivity and oppression. And even now, they were enduring hardship. And throughout their history, there had been prophecy after prophecy after prophecy saying, there is a Messiah coming, there is one coming who is going to end the oppression, who is going to end this ridicule, who is going to end all of your pain, so to speak. Israel is being harassed and oppressed And this phrase, consolation of Israel, can actually be found numerous times throughout the Old Testament. It was actually a part of the Jewish prayer, where they would end their prayer each and every day, and they would say, God, may I see the consolation, may I see the comfort of Israel. And what they were saying is, God, may today be the day that the Messiah comes. They would pray each and every day, God, bring this Messiah in my lifetime. It would be... Equivalent to you living in a country where there was persecution and ridicule and oppression and threat of danger and death and hardship each and every day, and you would pray if you lived in that environment, you would pray each and every day. God, may may you deliver us from this. God, may you deliver us from this in our lifetime. And in fact, there's Christians around the world this morning in places such as Venezuela and other countries around the world where they are facing that kind of opposition. And I have talked to missionaries in these countries, and they say these people daily fall on their face before God. They're, they're they, Even going to church, they are risking their lives, and they pray each and every day, God, will you please deliver us? Imagine the nation of Israel, year after year after year, this oppression and this affliction on them, and they pray daily, God, may we see the consolation of Israel. God, will you deliver us today from this oppression? What you and I have to understand this morning is that the oppression that they were facing physically and politically, all of humanity faces spiritually. All of humanity faces spiritual oppression and spiritual opposition. And what Simeon and Anna knew was not just that the the coming king would be the king of kings and the Lord of lords and he would be the hope of Israel, but he understood that he would be the hope of all humanity and that he could rid their lives of the oppression, the spiritual darkness that is a reality in our hearts. We have to understand that without the birth of Christ, there is no hope of comfort. There is no hope of consolation. Because of the birth of Christ, I want you to understand this morning, It's is a reason to celebrate Christmas. Because of the birth of Christ, we can have comfort and we can have hope. No matter what you are facing this morning, you can have hope because of the birth of Jesus Christ. This is not just a spiritual reality, but this is also a practical reality. You can have freedom from addiction because of Christ. And you can have marriages restored because of Christ. And you can have victory in your lives over sin and temptation and struggles because of Christ. See, because of Christ, you truly can have hope this morning. And there are many of you here, and you are beat down. You're under the weight and the pressure of a life that is not going the way you thought it would go. And you're looking, you're saying, why do I have no hope? And I want you to understand, your key to hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The key to victory in your life is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And giving your life to Christ and following Christ does not mean that you will not have hardship. I think all of us here know that when you give your life to Christ, many times you still endure hardship. But it means that in the midst of pain and in the midst of pressure and in the midst of disappointment, you can cling to hope because your hope is found in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Your hope is found in the person of Christ. And so you can cling to that. No matter what is happening, you can cling to that rock, you can cling to that foundation. Simeon and Anna, I believe, understood that the birth of Christ brought hope of comfort. Not only that, they understood that it brought hope for salvation. I want to skip all the way down to verse 30. And I want you to notice what Simeon says when he lays eyes on Christ. He lays eyes on this child. And notice what he says in verse 30. My eyes have seen your salvation. He doesn't just say, my eyes have seen a child. My, My eyes have seen a baby. My eyes have seen the one I've been waiting for. He very specifically says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Why did he say that? Well, he understood that the birth of Christ was more than just about a birth of a baby. He understood that the birth of Christ was about salvation. Through Christ we have salvation. This is the Christ who would bring salvation to the Jews and the Gentiles. Look at verse 32. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. In essence, he's saying this Messiah, this Christ has come to bring salvation to all people. Again, that's why we give missions. That's why we support missions, so that all people, no matter where they live, can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. He's celebrating Christmas. This is just not about the history of a birth. Christ is born to give hope for salvation, because without his birth, There would be no hope of comfort. There would be no hope for salvation. And I want to build on that now because this next truth is very closely related, but I want to draw out an additional component. It brought hope for redemption. It brought hope for redemption. Again, skip all the way down with me to verse 38. Anna now has come. She is looking at the, res- the, the, the birth of Christ. She sees this baby. At the very moment, she came up and began to thank God and speak about Him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Again, this is very closely related to the previous point of salvation, but this word redemption is interesting. This word redemption has a unique meaning and a, Unique picture that is behind it. The word redemption means to purchase back, to pay for something that has been lost. Literally, if you're going to sum it up in just a few words, you would say that the word redemption means the payment of a ransom. It's a word that occurs nine times in Scripture, and it's always with the idea of a ransom or a price that has been paid. Here's what I want you to understand with this. We have to understand that Christ being born was all about him paying a price. Christ being born, the the birth of Christ was all about him being a ransom. He was born to die. Let me support this with Scripture. Matthew 20, 28 said that Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. Why was Jesus born? Matthew says he was born to give his life as, as a ransom. There was a purpose This is not just about celebrating a birth. This is about understanding the purpose of the birth. The purpose of the birth was a ransom. There was a price that had to be paid. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says you are bought with a price. A ransom had to be paid for you. What was that price? It is the death of Christ. So understand something. The story of the birth of Christ and the story of the crucifixion of Christ are not two separate events, but they are directly connected because the birth of Christ Leads to the death of Christ. The death of Christ was why he was born. Ephesians 1.7 says we have redemption through his blood. 1 Timothy 2.5-6 says that Christ gave himself a ransom for all. See, the idea running through all of these verses, through all of these texts, is that there was a payment that had to be made for our redemption. The debt against us is not viewed as simply canceled. It is viewed as paid. The price was Christ's blood. The price was Christ's life. He surrendered them in paying a ransom for us. I want you to picture this. Because I think sometimes we can hear that and we say, okay, yeah, ransom, price paid, good. But I want you to picture this from a historical perspective for a moment. Because the, what, what the Jewish readers would have understood as they were reading this was Something very drastic and very dramatic. In fact, you can go back and read the story of Hosea if you want to get a picture of what this truly looked like. In the story of Hosea, you remember who Hosea's wife was? Anybody? Gomer? Y'all remember Gomer? Gomer was unfaithful. Gomer was living a life of a prostitute. And Hosea bought her, paid the price for her, brought her into a relationship. But after time in their marriage, she again wandered off and was completely unfaithful to him. And God tells Hosea, go and buy her back. And I want you to get the picture of this. She would have been on an auction block, on a stage up in front of a crowd, and people deciding what they wanted to pay, what what price was going to be offered. And in her mind, she had no hope of freedom, no hope of love, no hope of acceptance, no hope of any kind of a normal life again. Whoever bought her, she would be captive, and she's standing there, most likely in shackles, her feet shackled, her hands shackled, standing up in front of everyone, being mocked, ridiculed, people trying to figure out what they are going to pay for her. And the auctioneer begins. And all of a sudden, someone walks up with a bag of money, lays it down, and says, I will pay the full price. And takes her off of the auction block and puts her robe around her. And she looks and she sees that it is Hosea. The person that she had been unfaithful to, the person that she turned her back on, the one person who should not want her to have anything is willing to come and pay the price, buy her off the auction block. And not just buy her off the auction block to a life of, of slavery, to a life of ridicule, to a life of pain. But brings her back and says, you are loved. You are free. No more shackles, no more chains, no more pain, no more mistreatment, no more abuse. All you have here is love. The price has been paid. No, You don't have to be afraid. I paid the price to buy you back. You don't have to worry what anyone else thinks anymore. I have paid the price. And you don't have to worry about what anyone else is saying. I paid the price. And you don't have to worry about being rejected because I ransomed you. I redeemed you. I paid the price that was necessary. We look at that and we understand a little bit more maybe what's actually happening. But here's what I want you to, to grasp is that you and I before Christ, we are standing on the auction block, in shackles on our hands, in shackles on our feet. We are living in bondage. We are slaves to sin, slaves to unrighteousness. We have turned our back on God. We are children of wrath. And God came and says, I want to buy them back. And so he sent Christ, who died on the cross. He paid the price. In essence, he came and dropped the price, his life, his blood, and said, I want to buy them And he didn't buy us back to a life of slavery, buy us back to a life of bondage, buy us back to a life of ridicule, buy us back to a life of hate. He bought us and says, now you are free. You are free indeed. You are loved. You don't have to worry about what would have been. You are safe and you are secure in me. See, when we say that the birth of Christ brought hope for redemption, what we are saying is that the reason you and I can stand today and we can sing and we can worship is because Christ was born to be a ransom. He was born to die. He was born to pay the price that we could never pay so that we could stand together and we can sing songs about how great God is to us. See, we cannot separate Christmas Day from Good Friday. Christmas, read this this morning, it says, Christmas is doomed to decay into a merry, sentimental, or superstitious eat, drink, and be merry festivity of December. Bethlehem and Golgotha, the manger and the cross, the birth and the death must always be seen together. The same babe that is wrapped in swaddling clothes is the same life that was wrapped and placed in the tomb. The same life, the same babe that was laid in a manger is later nailed to a cross. See, the birth of Christ is significant because of the death and the resurrection of Christ. Christ was born to die. Why should we celebrate? Why is this such a great time of year? Why is there so much joy? Simply because a baby was born? No, because a baby was born to pay the price, to be the ransom that we could not come up with on our own. And the only reason we have any hope this morning at all is because Christ was born to die and to rise. So when we leave and we sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. What are we acknowledging? That we can have joy because of what Christ did. So we talk about the story of Christmas and we talk about the meaning of Christmas. Understand that the meaning of Christmas is not just about the birth. The birth without the death and resurrection is meaningless The birth is connected to the death and the resurrection. Without the birth of Christ, the penalty could have never been paid. Without the birth of Christ, we have no hope of forgiveness. Without the birth of Christ, we have no hope of redemption. You know why the Christmas story and the Easter story together make such good news? Because of the bad news that we were standing on the auction block. It is good news that we've been redeemed but it's only good news because we needed redeeming. It is great news that we have been saved, but it's built on the backdrop that we needed to be saved. It's great to be able to say the price has been paid, but what makes that so great is that we couldn't pay it. And it points us to the person of Christ. The reason there can be joy this time of year is because of what Christ did. And you would think that this would be great news for all people. I mean, you'd think, who wouldn't want this news? Who wouldn't want the news that, of what Christ has done? But the reality is, this is your fourth point, that this hope results in division. Simeon ends his little speech, so to speak, in verse, I want you to notice verse 34, "...then Simeon blessed them all and told his mother Mary, "'Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel, "'and to be a sign that would be opposed.'" And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. See, the reality is this hope, this Christ, when he is presented, some accept and some reject. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, one thief on one hand rejects Christ and the other thief on the other side accepts Christ. And we look at that and say, what? Why would people reject this good news, but it's a reality that people are either drawn to Christ or they are repelled from Christ? And in your life, as you live out your faith and you share Christ and you talk about what Christ has done in your heart and done in your life, you need to understand that there will be some people who see that and look at that and they will be drawn, they'll be curious and they'll have questions and then those other people will step back and they will ridicule and they will laugh and they will reject it. That is not a reflection At least it should not be a reflection on you, but the reality that some people are going to reject Jesus Christ. This wonderful news that we celebrate this time of year will not be accepted by all people. Some people will still reject Jesus Christ. But the fact that people reject Him does not diminish the fact that through Him we have comfort of salvation. We have comfort, we have salvation, we have redemption. Why? Because the price has been paid. Here's what I want to do. I want to summarize these last three messages together and help us understand exactly what all this means. So the first week, we looked at Daniel, we looked at the wise men, and we saw that Christmas is God's provision. Last week, we saw in the genealogy of Christ that Christmas is all about God's grace. This morning, we see that Christmas is hope. You know how all this ties together? The only way you or anyone else can have true hope It's because God provided and because of God's grace. You take God's grace away, you take God's provision away, and guess what happens to our hope? It's gone. The reason why this morning that you can be going through a difficulty, a tragedy, heartache this morning, and you can be in the midst of that and you can still cling to hope is because of Christ. So there's a spiritual reality in your life this morning that says if you have never rejected, if, excuse me, if you've never accepted Christ and what He has done for you on the cross, the only way you can have hope of forgiveness and hope of comfort and hope of eternal life is by accepting Jesus Christ. But it is also possible this morning for you to accept that spiritual reality, to understand what Christ's birth, death, and resurrection means for you spiritually and eternally, but still live a life that is defeated and every heartache and every pain completely throws you for a loop. Why? Because you have forgot that even your hope in this life is not tied to your circumstances, it is tied to Christ. And no matter what happens in this world, you have a hope because of what Christ has done. Which means you can go through pain and loss and agony in this life, but you can still look forward with hope because you know nothing changes your eternal destiny. Because Christ was born, Christ died, and Christ rose. You can go through heartache in this life, and you do not... I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying your heart doesn't break. and I'm not saying it's not difficult. But I am saying that you can cling to hope in the midst of all of that because you know Christ paid the price for your salvation. Throughout church history, I wonder how men were burned alive at the stake and in the midst of that, they sang. And I wonder how men and women were thrown to wild animals to be eaten alive and they praised God. I wonder how families could be ripped apart, the husband thrown in one prison, the wife thrown in another prison, and both of them continue their testimony for the Lord. What is it that they understood? That the hope they had in Christ was eternal. They had this hope because they understood about the birth of Christ, they understood the purpose seen in the death of Christ, and they lived in the victory found in the resurrection of Christ. You can live that same life today. Christmas is God's provision. Christmas is God's grace. This morning, I want you to walk away knowing that Christmas is hope. We've got one more next week. It's gonna tie all of this together. What is our response because of all of this? We're gonna see one final truth next week on Christmas Eve. No matter what you're facing, I want you to know this morning, you can have hope because of Christ. Will you stand with me? I wanna lead us in a word of prayer and I wanna give you a chance to respond this morning. You say, what is the response? Well, really two things. One, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never understood what the birth of Christ, the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ means, then today you need to give your life to Christ. You need to surrender your life to him. And for those of you this morning who have given your life to Christ, you need to determine that you're gonna live in light of the hope that Christ provides no matter what happens. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.